0: Erev Tov, good evening. We are beginning our shiur on Agadah. Today I decided to focus on something a little different. I am out of my comfort zone, but I promised you that when learning Agadah, that I would be going out of my comfort zone. And maybe before I share anything else, uh, a personal background. Growing up, especially where I grew up in the community where I grew up, Exposure to chassidut was a real thing. And at the time, you didn't think twice about it. Okay, chassidim, rebbes, these kind of things. As I went to yeshiva and encountered first Ashkenazi Jews who were not fans of rebbes or chassidut, it forced me to reassess and reevaluate things that I had been taught even just by society as a child and as a young adult. And then again, to challenge those things in my entry into the Sephardic world, when I met Ara Peretz, and my journey with Hasidut has been complicated. I can leave it at that. If you were to give it a relationship status, it will be, it's complicated. And today, I don't wish to delve into why it's complicated and how it's complicated. And those of you who have been learning with me long enough know that... uh, Chassidut is something that I struggle with in a number of different levels, but on the other hand, is something that I believe, like everything else, the Rambam Taris, Kabel HaEmet, Mi to accept the truth from whoever says the truth. And that's a value in the Beda Midrash of it's a value in our Beda Midrash, is whoever says truth to accept truth. And the ability of anybody in the Beda Midrash to be able to learn Torah, and to accept what they can accept and reject what they don't accept from chachamim of later generations who you're not obligated, nor are you bound to accept everything they say. And with this in mind, Harav Kuk urged us in his introduction to Agadah, I don't remember exactly which Shi'ul that was. Harav Kuk urged us that when, when looking into the world of Agada, we have an obligation to analyze this treasure from every different angle we possibly can, every viewpoint within Machane Israel, within the camp of the Jewish people. And Avchuk mentioned himself in the writings of Chasidim and the writings of Makubalim and the writings of everybody and everywhere because the Agadah, unlike Halakha, is something that we have the ability to look at, to weigh, to evaluate, reject what we don't accept, accept what we do accept. And so today I felt I would introduce us to a few different Chasidic texts. Being that this is outside of my comfort zone, there are some texts that I've chosen to skip. Just because I cannot properly explain to you, even if I were to tell you I don't agree, I have to first understand it in order to disagree with it. And because I don't operate in that frame of reference of that realm, which is Hasidut, there are some things that I'm sure to other people who are students of Hasidut are very easy to understand. But for myself, there are phrases and words and allusions that I I don't necessarily uh, connect to or pick up on even. But there are other ideas that I do feel are important to share, even if we don't accept all of them. But one thing I have to make clear, and that is, unlike the other chachamim of different generations and different places, that I can tell you who wrote it, why they wrote it, which world they were born into, which understandings they had in Torah, which controversies they had to deal with in their lifetimes really in the broader scheme of Hasidut, as much as I'm familiar with different denominations of Hasidut, I'm familiar with who they are today, and where they are today, and what their stances are on current issues, the history of Hasidut is much better left off to my wife, who this is her area of expertise. She's the one who knows all the, the different camps and the different approaches and the different styles, and even researches them until today. So forgive me if the historical side of today's the is going to be weaker than another shiurim, but I'm sure that you'll be able to do your research on your own time. There's a beautiful Talmud. It's a set of Talmud. One day I hope to own the whole set. It's some some 175 volumes or 135 volumes, so I just haven't been able to forget, afford it. Even if I could, I wouldn't have a place to put it in my home right now. But I buy them volume by volume as I need them. The Talmud is a sealed book, and as it was intended to be, taught from a rabbi to a student. And there are many who came along and taught The Talmud and translated the Talmud, elucidated the Talmud, and we're familiar with the major translations of the Talmud. Many of you probably have them in front of you right now. There's one institution called Ozvahadav that did an imperfect but quite fascinating job at explaining the Talmud and giving access not just to the superficial translation of the Talmud. But to give you Halakha in the Talmud, Rashi in the Talmud, Tosafot in the Talmud, selected commentaries in the Talmud, Agada in the Talmud, Chassidut in, in, in the Talmud, anything they could possibly get their hands on. And if I could show you what it looks like, so there's this Gemara. I think it's one my wife bought from me when I was, uh, right before I was engaged to her. And this is the first 17 pages of Masech al-Berachot. So this volume covers only the first 17 pages of al Berachot. In Berachot, there might be four or five or six volumes just for al Berachot, but for right now we're still on page one, so we've got ways to go. In the back of this Ozvah is something called Kafto V'Ferach, and it says here Liket Divrei Derush Hagut Musar. This is a collection of derashot, of musar, of philosophical ideas. Shel from the treasury of our rabbis, the giants of the generation where the merits protect us, unlike any of the other commentaries where you want to see what it says in Masagr Berachot, in this commentary, you go look in the volume of Masagr Berachot, you see what it says. These are commentaries that were not written on the Talmud. They're collected, scattered about in different books. So, for example, one of these rabbis may have written a commentary on the Parashah. But in the parashah, he mentions a passage from Maseret Berachot, and explains it in that connection to the parashah. What this uh, organization did is they compiled all of those pieces they felt were relevant and put them together in the back of the Talmud, in the order of the Talmud, so that you may be able to study them while you are studying Talmud. Now it's important when they say, Gidolei Hadarot. There's a problem in Judaism. Uh, when I hear people talk to me, they ask me things, oh, you know, the Rebbe said, or the Rav said, or Maran says. You have to understand a person's frame of reference when they use a word referring to somebody else, but you have no idea who they're talking about. So for example, if I was talking to Chacham, and they told me that Rabbeinu wrote something, our Rabbi, Rabbeinu. Rabbeinu, the only one I can think of Rabbeinu is Rabbi uda Anasi. But if this person is a Hasid of Breslev, they are probably referring to their rabbi when they say Rabbeinu. In the Jewish world, the rabbi said, which rabbi? There's so many rabbis there are? I think there are some 14,000 denominations of Christianity. I think Hasidut is, is seconding that. Amen. Seconding that in terms of denominations. Which rabbi? Well, if you're in Chabad, the Lubavitch rabbi, if you're in, I don't know, Kloisenberg, the Kloisenberg Rebbe during Stolin, Karlin, they're talking about their Rabbi and everyone on their own Rabbi. When we say the word Maran, I've already told, whenever I say Maran, I'm only referring to Rabbi Yosef Karo. Some communities you go, they say the Rav. Which Rav? I don't know what the Rav is. The Rav is Rav Soloveitchik. And some places you go, and who is uh, a Maran Harav? That's Rav Kook. And every place in their own thing. When these people are writing Gedolei Hadro, the giants of the generation, they're not referring to... Rabbi Yosef Massas. (laughs) They're not referring to Rabbi Chaim David Hadavi. They're referring to the rebbe's of Hasidut that they're connected to. And it makes sense because this book is printed in New Square in New York, which is perhaps one of the most fanatic places on earth when it comes to Hasidic Jewry. My wife's grandfather, my mother-in-law's father, was the first mayor of New Square. Rabbi Daniel Goldstein, he was the first mayor of New Square. They needed, when they started the community, They needed somebody who knew how to read and write English to be the mayor. So he took on the job and they do a beautiful job at printing books. You just have to understand their books in the frame of reference of the world in which they operate. So if you turn with me to the next page, the second paragraph on the page. So it's attached as a PDF to the bottom of the Zoom invitation, whichever Zoom invitation you join the Shiu with. Here we have a book called Avnei Eliyahu. I couldn't find out much about Avnei Eliyahu. What I can tell you about the V'nei Eliyahu is if my research is correct, this was written by Rabbi Eliyahu, the son of Rabbi Meir Yehuda Frankel. He was a rabbi in a place called Liska. He later became a rabbi in a place called Levelik, and he passed away in that second city and was buried there. The book of V'nei Eliyahu is a book on the Torah. It's a book of Derashot on the Torah. This particular piece comes from Rabbi Frankel's commentary, on Parashat Bereshit, uh, Bo, the book of Bo, uh, Parashat Bo in the book of Shemot. It was printed in Monkacz, that's Hungary, in 1899. So we're talking about 121 years ago, maybe 22 years ago already. In Monkacz, are you familiar with Monkacz? If you have Hungarian Hasidim as being from the fringe of the Hasidim in the world, Monkacz pretty much takes the cake for being the most fringe of all the fringe of Hungarian Hasidim. They may be the only Hasidim to make other groups like Satmar, let's say, look very normal and calm and uh, uh, liberal. And uh, Munkach is a pretty intense place. Uh, this book was printed there, most likely because there was a printing press there. I'm not certain that this rabbi had anything to do with Munkach, but in my research of him, I couldn't get much more than the information that I share with you right now. He had a son who wrote a commentary on his father's book. So in the 1899 edition, I believe it already has footnotes from his son, and I believe his son's name was Rabbi Yitzchak Franko, if I'm not mistaken. He writes the following thing, From when do we read Shema Israel in the evening? From the moment in which the Kohanim enter to eat their terumah. Again, we're in the second commentary in the right column on this PDF. It was in the times of the ben Niglim. When they were able to see, obviously he's referring to the 1st Bed Ben-Mikdash, they were able to see exposed miracles, revealed miracles. You saw the red string turn white, you saw all kinds of fascinating fire, all kinds of things you saw in the Ben-Mikdash you didn't see later on in history. It was easy, to strengthen yourself in emunah Baruch Hu. Here it's an important thing that I read to you first from the Rambam. If you want to find the Rambam, it's going to be in the laws of Yisodei HaTorah, the foundations of the Torah, in chapter 8. The Rambam writes the following words. So chapter 8 of the Mishneh Torah is Yisodei HaTorah, foundations of the Torah. Moshe Rabbeinu, the Jewish people did not believe in Moshe Rabbeinu because of the miracles that he did. Because somebody who believes in HaKadosh Baruch Hu because of miracles, there's something wrong with his heart. Meaning, what is it wrong with his heart? You're always in doubt as to whether what you're seeing is accurate or not. It's kind of like everything that pops up in the news in your mainstream, eh, eh, main, not mainstream, in your, in your stream, what do you call it, your Facebook stream. You see all kinds of things. People post all kinds of things. They tell you this and that and that. And then you click and you see it's all a kazav. People don't know how to look into things for themselves. And they believe all the nonsense the world throws at them in every direction. If I made it a point to remove everybody from my life who has shared with me something that's a shekel, I would have no friends left in the world. You might think that the miracle that Moshe Rabbeinu is doing is sorcery. Moshe Rabbeinu only did miracles because there was a need for those miracles. Not to prove his prophecy. He needed to get rid of the mitzrim, so he split the sea. They needed food, he brought down the man. They needed water, he, he split the stone for them, so on and so forth. So why did the Jewish people believe him, says the Rambam, a few lines later? The Ma'amad it happened at Sinai. Our eyes saw and no one else's. And our ears heard and no one else's. The fire, the voices, the flames. And Moshe Rabbeinu, he comes close to this fog. And this voice is speaking to him. And we hear Moshe, Moshe. Go tell the Jews such and such. That's why we believe in Moshe Rabbeinu. Not because of miracles that he did. In that case, every sorcerer that comes along your way, and today, B'kach Hashem, we're not lacking sorcerers. What do I mean, sorcerers? All kinds of people who play on people's weak people's intellect and weak people's emotions. All kinds of people who communicate with the dead, who read your... You know what these people are talking about. There are fools who believe such things. And there are those who don't. Says the Rambam, we didn't believe in Moshe Rabbeinu because of miracles. So why did Moshe Rabbeinu do miracles? He did miracles because we needed something, but not to prove his nevoah. So here, here he's, I'm, I'm being midayek. Rabbi Frankel writes here, back in, in the commentary of he writes, Not that it was easy to find emunah, but it was easy to strengthen your emunah that you already had. You see miracles happening. You see things, the supernatural happening in front of your eyes. Of course, it's easy to become Mitchazek in your emunah, to get stronger in your emunah. But nowadays, in our exile, and this is not necessarily correct Hebrew. I believe it's a translation from Yiddish. They would say in their which is in the exile. But in Hebrew, we would just say bagalut, or begalut. She'en anu roin nisim niglim. that we don't see revealed miracles today. Mehechanu lekabel al With what strength are we going to? With, with what motivation? What inspiration are we going to have to strengthen our emunah and the We're about to say shemayis lezol. Me says Rabbi Frankel. What does it mean? It means from where are we going to find inspiration? to say Kiryat Shema with absolute faith in HaKadosh Baruch Hu. We don't have miracles. We don't have a Beda Mikdash. We live in Galut. Where are we going to find that strength? Umnam. From where? Mizeh she'anu ro'in hatalmidei chachamim ovdei Hashem From that which we see the Torah scholars, those who serve HaKadosh Baruch Hu, I must ask you for one moment to just read this like a chasid. Don't read this like somebody who learns in the Shiviti Beda Mikdash. Okay. Sheen oskim b'masal matan that they don't work for a living. V'afal pikenen even though these Talmidei Chachamim, the tzaddikim, don't have jobs, yesh nihem lachiyot et atzmaam, they still have sustenance to live on. Nirah ba'alil hashgachat abrayit barach. This is our revealed miracle, that Talmuddei Chachamim are able to survive. It's our revealed miracle in HaKadosh Baruch Hu's divine providence in the world. Uh, but you are all familiar with the Rambam. I didn't plan to share with you today, but let me just see. I'm using a different Rambam today than I only have. Yeah. The Rambam writes in the third chapter, of the laws of Talmud Torah. So if you click Sefariah, Halakha, Mishneh Torah, you click on laws of Torah, study or Talmud Torah, you'll be in chapter 3, Halakha 10. Kol hamesim al Anybody who decides in their heart. Sheyasog <speaking in Hebrew> b'torah, that they will study Torah, v'lo <speaking in Hebrew> And they will not work for a living. parnes <speaking in Hebrew> And how will they survive? From tzedakah. This person has desecrated Hashem's name. And has disrespected the Torah. And has extinguished the flame of our faith. And not only that. And he's caused evil to himself. And he's removed himself from the next world because it's forbidden to derive benefit from the words of Torah in this world. Amu chamim, our rabbis taught us, Anyone who benefits from the words of Torah removes their life from this world. our rabbis also commanded us, you cannot make the Torah a crown, a shovel, different translations. You cannot use the Torah to become great to them. And furthermore, our rabbis commanded us. Eh, here it says, I have. might remember, et Love, work, and hate positions of authority. And every Torah that does not have with it a livelihood, a job ultimately that Torah will fall apart and will cause sin to happen and what will happen to a person who lives off of Tzedakah and only studies Torah and lives off other people's Tzedakah this person will end up stealing from other people you know you just have to think about the religious community and everything that Rambam said is true every every word that Rambam said is true even the end result of the people who are living from sedaka what they end up doing to people by the way this has led to much conversation in the Jewish world about kolels, about Shivot, about all kinds of things just suffice it to say that none of that fits in with the Rambam's life or the Rambam's understanding of halakha are there other ways for sure but not according to the Rambam now what about being a rabbi being a dayan being a mohel perhaps being a, so among the poskim, there are conversations surrounding, there's one thing to study Torah and receive money from tzedakah to be able to continue studying Torah. There's another element of serving communities, serving people. These are jobs. They're not, they're not just a person sitting down and learning Torah all day. The person who's involved in a community, is involved in a school, for example, a rabbi in a school, is teaching your children all day, is a job of a babysitter. It's not taking money because of limutolah purely mutolah, but these are already discussions among the poskim. I'm not sticking my head into it right now. It's a halachashi were for a different time. But the Harav Kapach, alav Shalom, he writes that when he was in yeshivat Makaza of Kuk, he would get a stipend to live, and he had to take the stipend. And it bothered him every day that he used to live off of a stipend for limutolah. That when he finally graduated from the yeshiva and he had enough money of his own, he went to the rabbi who was the rabbi of the yeshiva and he paid back, I'm forgetting his name right now, I want to tell you that it was, I, don't want to, I know the name, but I don't want to say it for sure. He said he went back, and he paid, the, till the last shekel of how much money he took in the years he studied in yeshiva. So all of his stipends, he paid the yeshiva back, so he could go to sleep at night, that he didn't violate the words of the Rambam. So we'll all reach that place. I'm just reading this halakha, because like I said, you have to read it like a chassid. I'll try to reconcile in a moment. Back to... And this is what it means. When do we read Shema in the evening? From which inspiration can we accept upon ourselves Akadosh Hu's kingship in exile when we don't see any revealed miracles? And that's the answer. From the moment when the Kohanim, meaning those who serve they enter to eat their terumah. You see they have what to eat. Where did he get this? From his silo, from his uh, uh, wine cellar, or from his vineyards. From here you see that all of this comes from HaKadosh Baruch Hu. I don't think you have to go so far to say that Hamidei chamim don't work. And because of that, you learn from them that HaKadosh Baruch takes care of everything. But I do think that the concept of Parnassah, the way in which HaKadosh Baruch Hu is zan u the way in which HaKadosh Baruch Hu really does provide, is an unbelievable thing to watch. By the way, it's a Galgal Chosegu Baalam. Our rabbis tell us that poverty and financial stress is a cycle in the world and that we constantly are riding this roller coaster of up and down. There's no person who's exempt from this roller coaster. By the way, there is a teaching among some Chachamim that the only way to exempt yourself from the circle of poverty is to put yourself on the line and to collect money for other people, for those who are poor. Not to collect money for yourself, to collect money for those who need it. So a person who's willing to sacrifice their reputation, put, their, put themselves on the line, and make sure that others have, some Chachamim say that that's a good, it's a good way to get off the bandwagon of the cycle of poverty. I hope we're always on top and never on the bottom. Nonetheless, this is a reality in the world that people have Parnassah, and you see that once we had a situation here in the Kila, we needed money to pay rent in the Beda Knesset, to pay whatever we needed, the bills, the food, whatever we were. And this is before COVID when the Beda Knesset had many, many expenses, but well, we still have expenses, but they've changed. And we were short. We were short. It was exactly $5,000. And I just finished one of those fundraising, I hate fundraising, I abhor it in my, in my bones. Hallelujah! That there was somebody who would take upon themselves the, the mitzvah to fundraise for the kina. There would be a big mitzvah for them. It was that day my wife got a phone call from somebody that she had just developed a friendship with, and this lady said, "Listen, you guys have a synagogue. Yeah. I hate synagogues, I said, okay? <laughs> but if it's your synagogue, I want to donate." And she wrote out a check for five thousand dollars. We didn't ask her. We didn't say anything. And my wife turned and said, "You have to have a in Baruch Hu. Baruch takes care of everything." It's not you. You weren't asking money to go buy yourself a, a car. You weren't asking money to go to, to Disneyland. You were asking money to make sure that everybody else has a bit of Knesset. Of course HaKadosh Baruch is going to take care of that. When you live that kind of reality and you see what HaKadosh Baruch Hu does to line things up, you see two things, in my opinion. You see one, HaKadosh Baruch Hu's presence in the world. But you also see something else. You see the people in my community, in the greater community, who think that they are just people. And they don't realize how quickly HaKadosh Baruch Hu has turned them into angels. What do I mean by angels? What is a Malach? A Malach is a messenger. A Malach is a messenger who has a specific task. HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave you money. HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave you this inspiration to go online and donate $180, whatever it was. And you think that you were doing a chesed out of the goodness of your heart, and that's true, you did. But more than that, you were a much greater piece of HaKadosh Baruch Hu's puzzle in the world. You became a malach. Literally, you experienced exactly that which an angel experiences. When someone knocks on your door, it's a poor person. They ask you for food, and you go and you make them food and you pay a plate and you feed them. Hakadosh Baruch Hu doesn't have plates that he sends from Shamaim to people to feed them. And who has angels who does it? Who are those angels? It's you. When you open the door and you say, "Here, have some rice, have some chicken, sit down, let me feed you. Can I get you something to drink?" You are the Shaliah of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And for people to be able to experience the feeling of being in a divine mission, for people able to experience the divinity of HaKadosh Bahu coordinating everything, Antu ilat hailod HaKadosh Baruch Hu is the prime cause of everything in the world. Everything that happens is, He's turning the world constantly. To experience that, to experience the kohanim, that the people who need, they have what to eat, that experience is enough to say, wow, HaKadosh Baruch takes care of the world. There's another pirush here. And this is by, presumably a Hasidic Rebbe called Or David. Or David means the light of David. The rabbi must have been named Rabbi David something. But when you look for Or David, there are so many books called Or David. It's a very generic name that I could not narrow down who exactly this was that we're going to be reading. But it's a nice teaching nonetheless. Okay. From when do we read Shema in the evening? When the Koranim entered either to The purpose of humanity is to unite what people think there's a physical world and a spiritual world. In Hasidic thought especially there's this idea of connecting physicality and spirituality. Those are not things that are opposing each other but rather Kiddushah, holiness W-H-O-L-E So not just Kiddushah as in holiness, H-O-L-Y when you can create a wholesome package of kidusha, which is made up of physical and spiritual, when you can transform all that is apparently physical into the realm of the spiritual, and even those of us who have not reached the level where we're transforming physicality into spirituality, when they associate themselves with those servants of a Qadush who are able to accomplish those things? Then ultimately, we are also fulfilling the purpose of turning physical to spiritual. lomar, and it's possible to say Then maybe this is the reason why the Tana Rabbi Yudan Nasi writes this in the beginning of the Talmud. from when to read Shema in the evening? from the moment when the Kohanim enter to eat their tzumah how can the whole Jewish people reach Shema Israel if we're not all at that level in which we're turning physical to spiritual so he explains from the moment which the Kohanim enter to eat their terumah. We have a connection to Kohanim. Kohanim are those who turn something physical, food, into something spiritual. They can turn food into Terumah. Tirumah already becomes a mitzvah to eat. Suddenly the food that is normally just something you eat because your body needs food, the Kohanim are capable of transforming that food into a mitzvah. Like the Gemara al Masach says about the verse, And you who cling to Hashem your God. And the Chachamim wish to know how do you cling to Hashem your God? Hadbeq wa Talmidei Chachamim. Cling to Talmidei Chachamim. When you cling to Talmidei Chachamim, you ultimately end up clinging to HaKadosh Bahu. It's not that Chachamim are divine, but it's that they are those who are doing divine things in the world. And by associating with them, what does Mishnah say? Make your home a home where Talmidei Chachamim come and speak and learn Torah. By the way, it should be something that when COVID is behind us, it's, it's an old minhag of Am Yisrael in the past to open their homes to Talmidei Chachamim. I don't want all the shiurim to be in the bet And I said, I want the shiurim to be in my house. I want people to study Torah in my house. I want people to know that my living room is not just a place where you read the newspaper, but a living room is somewhere where people meet to learn Torah together. To make your home a place where tamedeichah chamim enter and exit from there, and by association with tamedeichah we ultimately become partners in that which they are trying to accomplish in the world. In the top left, there's a book here called Tepuche Chaim, the apples of Chaim, and I don't, or the apples of life. I'm assuming Rabbi Chaim wrote it, and I don't know which one it is. And Mechilah, I'm not I normally would like to share with you who wrote what, but like I told you, I wasn't able to reach that uh, conclusion of who that was. Tepukeh Chaim wants to explain, according to Chassidut, these different levels of saying Shema Yisrael. So what do you say? For one to reach Shema Yisrael in the evening, Rabbi until three stars come out. Uh, no, uh, until uh, the end of the first watch. Chachamim say, until chatzot, until midnight. Rabban Gamliel says, until dawn. He says, there must be something deeper that is going on in this Mishnah that our Chachamim are trying to teach us. Let's look in the top left of the page. V'amu, and our Rabbi say, Gimel Zmanim, they told us about three times. V'heinu Gimel Tkufot adam. These correlate to, correspond to three periods in a person's life. Yime Aliyah, the days of growing up, of going higher, Yime Amida, the days of steadiness, and yirida, the days of decline. So incline, plateau, decline. Remez, the Teshuvah, These correspond to in turn the three types of Teshuvah, that there are the three times in which a person can do Teshuvah. So there's three times mentioned in the Mishnah. There's until the end of the first watch, until midnight, and until dawn. There's also three times in a person's life when they're growing, when they're plateauing, and then when they're declining. That's part of life. Those correspond to the three types, the three times of Teshuvah. Let's explain. Rabbi Eliezer says, Until the end of the first watch. Pirushon, on a more teshuva oriented explanation. Like what our rabbis taught us, praiseworthy is the person who fears Hashem. Perush, our rabbis explain, how praiseworthy is it for a person who can serve when they're still Ish, when they're still a man, when they're still strong? It's easy to. Praise HaKadosh Baruch when one is, Yetzir Hara is not raging inside of them, when one's youth is, is behind them, when one is already more calm, more wise, more intelligent. But when someone is, is young and, and vibrant and, and led astray by the Yetzir Hara, Asheri Yishirei Et Adonai, a praiseworthy is a person who while they are still an Ish, they already praise HaKadosh Baruch or fear HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Vechachamim Omerim, and our chachamim say Ad chazo. there's another level even if you didn't do Teshuvah in your youth, you can do Teshuvah until midnight. chazal. The explanation is like what our rabbis taught in Masechet Yoma, page 38. Avru rov shenotav shel ha'adam velo chata shel If the majority of a person's life has passed and they have not sinned, then they can already assume that they will not sin again. Now, don't confuse this with another Mishnah that tells us that a person should never trust themselves until the day they die for a different time and a different shi'u. Meaning, the middle of your life is really what makes the difference. So long as you did Teshuvah until the middle of your life, you're in safe hands. And that's what the Rabbis intend to say. There's more than Rabbi Rabbi Rebilezer says you can do Teshuvah while you're still young. Chachamim say you can do Teshuvah until the middle of your life. And Rabban Gamniel suggests that you can do teshuvah until dawn. Pirushot, what does it mean? Gam baregah ha even in the last moment. Im yashuv, if a person does teshuvah, lo yidach mimeno nidach. HaKadosh Baruch Hu will never reject somebody. By the way, this is exactly why we do vidui with people before they pass away. What are you doing, we doing now, a confession, prayer with a person who their whole life was a rasha. Because even if they do teshuvah now, lo yidach I believe there was a story once about Rav Kuk. He once went to visit, I think it was Eliezer ben Yehuda. And he, Eliezer ben Yehuda asked him to come consult with him on Hebrew language and grammar. And Rav Kuk turned to Eliezer ben Yehuda and said, no, Eliezer, when are you going to do teshuvah? The Rabbi, you know, I was actually thinking about it. It's a good time to do Teshuvah. Rav Kook left his home, and he died later that day, Eliezer ben Yehudah. And Rav Kook said about him that for sure he died at Tzaddik. Because our Rabbi say, He Teshuvah keteshuvah That When a person even contemplates doing Teshuvah, it counts for Teshuvah. And that Eliezer ben had thought of doing Teshuvah, and he passed away, so for sure he already did Teshuvah. There's never too late to do Teshuvah. And like the Rambam writes, that a person who does Teshuvah, HaKadosh Baruch Hu does not remind him of his Averot. And that's what he means when he says, that you still have time to do Teshuvah until the day you die. He says, don't listen to those who tell you it's too late to do Teshuvah. It's never too late to do Teshuvah. And therefore, says he Gamliel. So what's the reason why the chachamim said to say it until midnight? What does Mishnah say, remember? To distance a person from avirot. To save a person from doing avirot. That a person should not rely, when I die I'll do teshuvah. And a person never knows when they die. Like the rabbi's taught us, Shuv, yom echad defne motcha, you should do teshuvah day before you die. How do I know when is the day before I die? You never know. So always do Teshuvah, because tomorrow you might die. I'm blessing everybody with a long life. But here essentially he says, that the Tapuche Chaim, there are three levels of Teshuvah here that correspond, to these Mishnaic teachers are corresponding to. The Rabbi Deitel says, it's best to do Teshuvah ideally when you're young and you're still struggling with those Averot. Chachamim are saying, listen, at the very least, do Teshuvah before it gets too late. Do Teshuvah while you're still in the first half of your life. It's never too late to do Teshuvah, even a moment before you die. So why did Chachamim say until Chatzot? Because they wanted to make sure you would do Teshuvah earlier in life than later in life. Again, this is not an explanation of the Mishnah. So nobody would read this Tepukh and say, oh, that's what the Mishnah means. That's why we avoided reading these things earlier on in the Shul. But now we're trying to take away messages from the Mishnah. You look at this Mishnah and you say, you know, people say, shivim panim l-to'ah. there There's 70 ways to learn the Torah. It doesn't mean that 70 opinions are right. But there's an understanding that there's 70 different messages you can get. There's only one truth. The truth is what it says. But also you're able to extract other messages that are alluded to inside of the text of whichever book you are studying. But I can take with you a tangent for a moment, if you look with me at the Rambam, because on a halachic level this is important, if you look at the Rambam in the laws of teshuvah, so you'll click Sepharia Halacha Mishneh Torah in the laws of repentance of teshuvah, in chapter two, the first halacha, Ezohi teshuvah gemurah says the Rambam, what does it mean, complete teshuvah? Ze shebal yado davar it's when a person is in a situation where he is in a, he did an averah, she did an averah. And you are now met with an opportunity to do the same averah again. And a person decided to separate themselves from the averah and not do it, not because they're afraid, not because because they chose to do teshuvah. Not because they're afraid of being caught or because they're too weak to do the Avera now. For an example, says the Rambam. This person had a forbidden relationship with a woman. And after a while it happened again that he was in a situation where he was alone with her again. And he loves her just as much as he loved her before. And he has the same strength in his body to do the avirot he did previously. he was even in the same country, the same place, everything is the same. And yet he still chooses not to do that Averot. This is a legitimate, complete Baal Teshuvah. This is what Shlomo says. You should remember your forefathers, your your, uh, your Creator, in your days of your youth. So you shouldn't wait until the days in which you say, these are years which I no longer have desire. It's easy to do Teshuvah for sexual transgressions of youth when you're old. It's harder to do that Teshuvah now. But what if a person only does Teshuvah in the days of their, their, uh, later on in life? And if he's in a situation where he wouldn't be able to repeat that Avera, even if he wanted to. Even though that's not a perfect teshuvah, it suffices. Uval teshuvahu, and he's considered a baal teshuvah. Even if a person transgresses the Torah their whole life, and they did teshuvah, on the day that they die, he dies out after doing teshuvah. Kol avonotav all of his avirot are forgiven. Shneimar. It's never too late. That's from Kohelet. From here you learn that a person who remembers their creator even a moment before they die, they're forgiven for their past. So obviously it's ideal to do teshuvah as the Averot come along to do Teshuvah when we're still able to be tested on those Averot. But it's never too late to do Teshuvah. A person should never be mitya'esh, should never give up hope from doing Teshuvah. It's something we do our whole life. By the way, it's in the realm of Chassidut. I believe the Chassidic masters did bring a certain dose of hope to people who were bale Avira. Until today, you see certain Chassidut. They've given hope to people. That it's never too late. You go to Israel, bumper stickers, shum yush cloud. You don't give up on anything in the world. Okay, listen, there's some things you might want to give up on. But on Teshuvah, never. To do Teshuvah, Teshuvah is something you can always do. HaKadosh Baruch Hu always wants you back. HaKadosh Baruch Hu is always waiting for his children to return. There's a story once about Arabu Arabu Shalom, that There were these... Uh, I don't actually know the difference in the Maccabi games and the Maccabiah games, but one of those national sports events happened in Israel in the early years of the state of Israel. So you're talking between 1948 and 1953, somewhere in that region, because Ravusiel dies in 1953. And there was an opening sports championship and started on Friday night. Everyone came from the whole world, Friday night, and they asked Ravusiel if he'd be willing to speak. The other rabbis would not attend the event, but Ravusiel asked to speak just a few minutes before Shabbat starts. And he came just a few minutes before Shabbat started. And he said, I'm Yisrael, the precious children of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. You don't know how happy it makes HaKadosh Baruch Hu to see you come home to Eretz Yisrael from all around the world to play sports in Akadosh Baruch Hu's home. You have no idea how proud it makes Akadosh Baruch Hu. He wishes that you wouldn't do this on Shabbat. But which mother doesn't want her child home? Even if he comes home with mud in his boots. Even when comes home and makes a mess in the kitchen, every parent wants their child. Bukhu wants his children too. There are those who go around robbing Am Yisrael of their hope. They tell them about the all They tell them how they're going to go to hell. They're going to burn a gehenom. They're going to do this and that. And they think they accomplish some kind of mitzvah by doing this. The Rambam writes, that we have an obligation to draw Am Yisrael near be'avutot with ropes, not strings. Ropes of love. It's the only way you could bring Am Yisrael home. With ropes of love. Remember that term. Someone's going to ask you, what's the strategy for the Jewish future? Ropes of love. That's the only way to bring Am Yisrael home. They don't scare anybody into anything. Remember, even if a person does Teshuvah out of fear, that's not real Teshuvah. It's not a real teshuvah. A real teshuvah is, I love HaKadosh Baruch Hu more than I love my yitzara. That's the choice I've made. And that brings us to the last thing tonight. How do we truly appreciate HaKadosh Baruch Hu? How do we reach awareness of HaKadosh Baruch Hu? How do we find in ourselves to love HaKadosh Baruch Hu? To do that, I have to read with you two more sentences from the Gemara, and then you and I will, be Hashem, uh, go on to the next passage of the Talmud, which we'll be dealing with in our Agadah class. But for right now, if you look with me just back in the Gemara, so if you have your Gemara in front of you, and if you're using a pure En Yaakov, you might not actually have this in your Enya'kov. So after the Mishnah ends in the Talmud, it should say, Gimel Mem. it says Gemara, so it's somewhere in the middle of the page. The Talmud says the following, Tana Hechakai, where did the Tana get this understanding? De katane, de katane, that he, he said, Me Matai, from when to reach Shema in the evening. Meaning, from where does the Tana even know that we have to reach Shema in the evening? That he's asking us from when to reach Shema in the evening. The first question should be, How do you know that you have to reach Shema Yisrael in the evening? And then it should tell you. And then, from when do we read Shema in the evening? Why does the Tanah start off by telling us, "Me matai, from when do we read? He should have first told us there's a mitzvah, meaning from where does he understand the obligation to read Shema Yisrael? And furthermore, there's another question to ask. Why does the Tanah begin with Shema Yisrael of the evening first? You should have started with the Shema Yisrael of the morning. So the Gemara answers both of these questions with the same answer. Tana The Tana, the author of the Mishnah, Rebbe Yudan was basing himself off of the Torah itself. It says in the book of Dibarim, And then it says, And then it says, when you go to sleep and when you wake up. So which Shema Yisrael do we discuss first? The Shema Yisrael of the evening. Because in the Torah the evening is mentioned first and then the morning Shema is mentioned. Let's skip a line. The Mullah says, bayit Emma. And if you want, you could have also answered that the reason why the Tana decided to speak about the Shema of the evening instead of the morning, the Tana chose to learn this out from the creation of the world. Like it says in Bereshit, there was evening, there was morning, and that was one day. Meaning, how does the understand the world to be created? That first there's evening, and then there's morning. And that's the way the Jewish calendar works. Shabbat begins on Friday night, and then Shabbat day happens afterwards. So what is the first tefillah of a Jew, the first shema, is the evening. And you can learn that from two places. Either Bishokh becha, when you go to sleep, uv when you wake up, or from the creation of the world, which says, v'hi erev v'hi voker. That first there was evening, and then there was daytime. Knowing that, Let's go back to this piece of Agadah in the back. This book comes from the Pnei Menachem. The Pnei Menachem was the Rebbe of Gur, the Gerer Hasidim, they call him. In Israel they say Gur, in America they say Ger, why, I don't know. The Pnei Menachem passed away in 1996, so it was fairly recent Ger Rebbe. The Gerer Hasidim are a unique group of Hasidim, it should be spoken about at a different time. In one hand, they had a unique love for Eretz Yisrael, and they were involved in some way with Eretz Yisrael, in acquiring m- much land and property in Eretz Yisrael. The legend is that the, the Ger Hasidim came to Eretz Yisrael when he was still in Israel, before he was still alive, so before the Holocaust. And they said, Rabbi, why should we invest in Eretz Yisrael? He said, How much money would you pay, Hasidim, to go eat the shiraim, the leftovers from your Rebbe at his tish? He makes a big meal and he hands out his kugel or gefilte, or whatever they do in this tish, and you eat the leftovers. How much money would you pay? Oh, I would pay everything. He said, Can you imagine that Eretz Yisrael are the leftovers of a Kadosh Hu? How much money would you pay for the leftovers of a Kadosh Hu? I said, They started jumping on that and they started buying up Eretz Yisrael. And the truth is that Ger owns a lot of land in Eretz Yisrael. The Ger Hasidim have an unfortunate understanding of sexuality, and that has made for tremendous problems in the Jewish people. But really, it's not in my my conversation today. It's something to be spoken about privately. Hasidei Gur, if I remember correctly, were very particular never to split off into subcategories of their Hasidut. So sometimes a brother would take over for his older brother was the Rebbe, but it was a normal thing for a Ger Rebbe to become a Rebbe in his 80s, when he waited for his brother to pass away, and then he became the next Rebbe. Never would it have happened that one Rebbe broke away from another chassidut. If I remember current Jewish politics, there actually is a breakaway in Gur right now, but that's, that's unusual for the Ger chassidim. They're known to respect this, this tradition of passing on the baton in order to the right people. The Pnei Menachem writes the following words. Veli it's, it's in the bottom left. It's the last paragraph before the letter Gimel. Veli apparently, Apparently, seemingly, how did this answer the question of the Talmud? The question of the Talmud is from when do you know? That you have, how do you know that you have to reach Shema in the first place that you're asking us from when do you reach Shema? That was the question of the Talmud. From where is the obligation to reach Shema in the evening that you're telling me that I have to, from what time to reach Shema? How was this an answer to the question? Meaning, the first answer was a good answer. It says, B'shoch b'cha kumecha, when you go to sleep and when you wake up. What is that referring to? To saying Shema Yisrael. But the second answer makes no sense. The second answer says, well, he also could have learned it from the way HaKadosh Baruchu created the world. HaKadosh Hu first created night, and then he created day. That only answers one question. That answers the question of why did the Tana mention nighttime before daytime? But it does not answer which question. The question of how do you know that you have to read Shema in the first place. It's brought down in the name of the Chidushai Harim. The Chidushai Harim is the original Ger Rebbe. So if you're familiar with Chasidut a little bit. There was a rabbi called the, uh, the rabbi of Peshischa. Peshischa? No. no. He was named the, the Yid HaKadosh, the Yehudi HaKadosh, they called him, the Holy Jew. The Yid HaKadosh was a student of the Chosea of Lublin, the seer of Lublin. The Chosea Lublin was one of the dynasties that had major politics. After the Chosea passed away, his son took over the world of Chassidut, at least that branch of Chassidut. And many Chassidim felt that it was inappropriate for a son to take over for his father. Rather, the most righteous student should take over for the rabbi, not the son for the father. And therefore, there was a breakaway from the Chassidut of the Chosev Lublin, and that was spearheaded by the Yehudi Kadosh, by the Holy Jew. He had a student, and that student's name was, the Kotsku Rebbe. Rabbi Menachem Mendel of Kotzk Rabbi Menachem Mendel of Kotzk was a unique truth seeker his whole Torah was all about truth fanatic about truth fanatic to the point where even though his chassidim were known to be from the most truthful chassidim he separated himself from the last 19 years from his chassidim because he believed they were all a bunch of liars the Kotzk Rabbi has some fascinating teachings about truth they once asked him so he once told the, the, he said, to get into Kotzk he said you don't have to be a tzaddik to become a kotzker. Hakadosh Baruch Hu doesn't need tzaddikim. Hakadosh Baruch Hu would prefer a rasha who is honest over a tzaddik who's a liar. Hakadosh Baruch Hu wants genuine people, not tzaddikim. Gen- being authentic, being genuine, is the value. They say once they asked him what the difference between a chassid and a mitnagid was. He said a chassid has yirash has fear of heaven, and a mitnagid has yirat He has fear of the shulchan ar-ruh that it's important to realize that everything we do comes from HaKadosh Baruch I don't wish to denigrate Mitzah Agdim, I'm simply saying that was a teaching of the Khatzka, it was a very sharp personality. In those last 19 years, where the Khatzka Rebbe separated himself from his Hasidim, the Chidushei Harim of Gur, he essentially took over for the Khatzka Rebbe and he led the Hasidim in the path of Khatzk. The Gera Rebbe then ultimately had one, there's one last person in this dynasty before the Holocaust, and his name is Rabbi Simcha Bunim of Peshischa. Rabbi Simcha Bunim of Peshischa was also known as the pharmacist. What do you mean the pharmacist? He wore a short coat, he had a nice beard, he was very well-kempt, he didn't dress like a Hasidic Rebbe, he was a pharmacist for a living, he used to play chess, he was a very refined, and his whole, people thought he was crazy, how could you be a Hasidic Rebbe? that's the whole point. I want to show people that you can be a Tzaddik and still be part of this world, that was part of his, his value system. I don't think you have Rebbes like this, uh, so much left in the world. I was once sitting at a table in Muncie, New York, and I told them much of what I'm telling you right now but the history of Kansk. And they were like, wow, how does a Sephardic Jew know so much about Hasidim? I said, no, I make it my mission to know about Amisrael as much as I can. He said, I, if you would listen to me now, listen to me, 10 Hasidic rabbis, where they live, what they did, I'd be able to tell you. He said, if I would ask for you 10 Sephardic rabbis who operated in the last 300 years, would you be able to answer that question? I have an article about this on my website. I said, I'll give it to you, Rabbi Bari Yosef and the Baba Sadi. Let's pretend, okay? Let's just. Can you give me eight rabbis from the list? Nothing. Crickets chirping. I can do this in almost every single Ashkenazi Shabbat table. It's inappropriate that Am Israel does not know about each other's chachamim. I'm not a Hasid. I'm also not a Lithuanian, but I make my point to know as much as I can about chacham Israel. All of them, we pray on Shabbat that Hashem should give life to chacham Israel. Their wives, all of So I am praying for everybody. I want to know all of them also. Hallelujah, that we have the favor returned to us. It says the Chidushay Harim. So it's mentioned in the name of the Chidushay Harim. The explanation is that a person from the, seeing the creation of the world a person should be able to understand on their own. If you would understand the magnificence of the world, you would automatically accept HaKadosh Bukhu upon yourself. And that's what he's trying to teach you from meaning, from how does it answer the question that the Tana was speaking in the language of the Torah? Because if you would know that a B'chur created the night and created the day, you will learn two things. You know that there's a creator of the universe. If you properly look at the creations, you will see the creator, and the second is, you will learn that night comes before day. And this is the type of kabbalat ol machut shamayim of acceptance of hakadosh baruch hu on yourself that you you discover when you truly unearth the secrets of hakadosh baruch hu's universe. ha'teva, this is nature. Nature provides you with the fact that there is a creator. Like it says in the Nevi Yishayahu, Seu Marom menechem, Uru'u mi bara ele, Lift your eyes unto heaven and see who created these things. Seu Marom menechem is the acronym of Shema. Lift your eyes into the heavens and see who created this. It says the Kiddush Harim, Shema Yisrael, Look at the creations of the world and you will see HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echa you recognize who created all of this and you accept upon yourself the yoke of heaven and this was the intention if you're familiar with the commentaries in the Torah that say the teachings of our rabbis you only needed to start I believe Rashi mentions the beginning of the Torah from the Chachamim you only needed to start the Torah from Achodesh Chachamim you didn't have to start in Bereshit Start from the mitzvot. Don't start from the stories. There's a unique path that Kadosh Baruch Hu has to Hakadosh Baruch Hu that Am Israel has through mitzvot. Haderch shel mitzvah When we observe mitzvot, we recognize the Creator the way is unique to Am Israel to recognize the Creator. nonetheless patach HaKadosh Baruch Hu chose to start the Torah with the creation of the world, because it says that HaKadosh Baruch Hu, I think it's a pasuk in Yeshayahu. Maybe I made it up. I have to remember where the, Oh, no, that's Tehilim, Tehilim, sorry. HaKadosh Baruch Hu shows his strength through, through his actions to his people. That so when a person is able to contemplate the world, that is the truest way to accept upon themselves like Look at the creation and you will see the creator inherent in the creation. Uh, I want to read to you one last section of Rambam for tonight. If you'll go with me to the laws of Yisodei Torah, foundations of the Torah. So if you open up your Rambam in the Sephariah and you find chapter 2, Halakha 2. You know, the world of digital... Screens and Zooms and kids being in school on Zoom. And as much as I tried to keep screens out of my home, I wasn't successful in this war against COVID in that regard. My wife and I made a conscious decision that things that my children will see with their eyes should be things that are connected to nature. You can watch the whole Discovery Channel, most of it. There's some things also not to watch, right? And National Geographic, beautiful things in the world. To see the world. When a child is exposed, not to foolish, Concepts, superheroes, flying capes, like, well, their brain is full of nonsense. You expose a child to Hakadosh Hu's world, how life works, how life dies. Animals, creatures, insects, Hakadosh, the whole world, heavens, earth, oceans, deep sea, everything. You see Hakadosh Hu in the whole world. Everything is perfect. Everything is perfect. How this animal eats that animal, but it's chadred, yeah, that one eats that one, but because created it, and what you think is trash is thrown into the dirt and there's a whole universe of insects, they come and eat that, for, and it becomes back into the soil and the trees and the air. And the, it's the awe of the universe. It's, you know, when they tell you that in Yeshivot, they don't study secular studies or science because it distracts from the Torah. Only a foolish Am Ha'aretz could say such a thing. If you were to give a history class, a science class properly, geology, biology, whatever you want. To teach people about everything in the world, the human body, the bones in the human body, everything, all you would see is HaKadosh Baruch Hu, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, You'll see the imprint of HaKadosh Baruch on the world. To ignore that is to ignore that HaKadosh created the world. And therefore says the Rambam, in the second chapter of Yisudei Torah, HaEl Hanichbad VeHanora, The Honorable and Mighty King, God, Haze, This God, Mitzvah LeAhobo ULira the It's a Mitzvah to love him and to fear him. In Hanachabet, Bet, hader HaDegh v'irato, What is the way to loving and fearing Hashem? How does a person love HaKadosh Baruch Hu? How does a person come to recognize HaKadosh Baruch Hu? It's not through miracles, we've mentioned that. It's not by looking for, where do you look for HaKadosh Baruch Hu? B'sha'ah sheidbonen haadam b'masav. When a person concentrates on Hakadosh Baruch Hu's actions, uvuav and his creations, hanifla'im, hagidolim, the wondrous and awesome creations, viira yiremihim chokmatos she'en laerech veloketz, then a person will see the wisdom that has no limit, that has no end. Miad hu ohev umshabach umfayr umetavet taava gedolah leda Hashem gedol. Immediately, a person is forced to love HaKadosh Baruch to praise HaKadosh Baruch to glorify HaKadosh Baruch to desire deeply HaKadosh Baruch to know HaKadosh Baruch Hu. David, like David HaMelech says in Tehilim, My soul thirsts for HaKadosh Baruch I see HaKadosh Baruch world, and I say, I wish that I could get close to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. When a person thinks about these things alone, not only does a person acquire love of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, a person also acquires the proper awe of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Because when you begin to think about the universe, and I only spoke to you about this world, you think about space and solar systems and planets and, and uh, all the things you can think about, you immediately take a step back and you become full of awe. You know that you're a little creation and nothing of a creation. As the famous Paytan says, we're all just dust in the wind. If you really think about yourself, the person will realize I'm nothing. Not in a self uh, negating type of fashion, it's not healthy. But in realizing the awesomeness of a Kadosh B'chu. It's like we're standing like a little shriveled nothing in front of the one who knows all. Kimosha Amar David, like David says. When I see your creation, we say this in the Vana also in our community. Immediately I get filled with this feeling of what is humanity that they deserve for you to mention them. And based off of this, says Rambam, I'm not going to speak too much but this way this path is the way in which a person becomes full simultaneously both of love of the creator and of awe of the creator I remember standing at the Hoover Dam is that where I was? at the Hoover Dam I know it's a man-made dam what did you do? well the dam what was the dam we went to next to Las Vegas? the Hoover Dam that's Hoover Dam okay good I'm standing there, and I remember it's huge. I can't explain to you the proportions that we're talking about. And the sun set. We stayed there. You know, we always get there places late, so we were there, and the sun set. And all of a sudden, you know, it says in the Torah that there's a sound of, of silence, called the Mamadaka, There's a voice of silence. I never. What is the sound of silence? It sounds like something you know, deeper than I can comprehend. The world went silent. There's no cars. There's no freeways, there's no airplanes, there's quiet. And I said, wow, this is called the Mamadaka. I was full, I prayed with my wife then, Arvit, over there. And I'll tell you, the Mincha that I prayed was nothing compared to the Arvit that I prayed. The Arvit that I prayed there, I felt, All of the Tefillah, wow, the Kaddosh amazing. From what? From seeing the world. In the Jewish community, we don't spend enough time being in awe of the creator of the universe by looking at his world, by looking at his creations. You see, people, some days I tell a kadosh just for my children, these are four children, liana, that came out of the same two people, that live in the same house, that have the same food, they have the same drinks, they have the same, their universe is the same. But every single one of them is a completely different human being. Everyone is amazing in their own way. Everyone has their own challenges in their own way. And you look at yourself and you say, this is HaKadosh Baruch Hu, Chachamim taught us, the way that tsufehen, their faces are not similar, so too their opinions are not the same. And you look at yourself and you say, HaKadosh Baruch has created a wondrous world. You see people from different places, and different countries, and different cultures, and different ethnicities. In all of that creation, you find the glory of HaKadosh Baruch And I bless us all that when we look in the Agadah, and we are able to extract such messages, you don't have to be a chassid, you don't have to be a ger chassid to learn the p'nei menachem, to walk away with deep ideas of the world of how to understand the Kadosh Baruch Hu. You can just do it by looking in your Talmud, looking in your Mishnah, looking at the world. Everything you need to be a wholesome, complete person and a holy and perfect Jew is all in front of you. You have all the tools you need. You don't need bate You don't need miracles, fires. HaKadosh Buhu will return all that to us when he's ready. But all the tools you need are in front of you. And now all HaKadosh B'chuh asks, if I could quote a different Hasidic Rebbe, of Clonomous Kamen of P.S. writes to his students, Now my students, Now go out and conquer the world for your Father in Heaven. Bezalad we should merit to fulfill that task in nemanut properly and speedily. Bezalad